0: Kevin
1: Markwick
2: sex pistols that was quite DJ the way I said that wasn't it (laughs) God save the Queen so it must be 1977 it most certainly is hello 1977 what's happening well Kevin the Ford Fiesta goes on sale Liverpool win their first European Cup. James Callaghan opens the M5. Honestly, I, it will get more interesting, I promise. Mark Bolan is killed in a carcass. Sorry, <laughs> it's a real downer. Freddie Laker launches the first cut-price airline Skytrain and, of course, 1977 was the year of the Silver Jubilee. So it's Kevin Markwick here, and tonight I have a very special guest. Good evening. It's the dulcet tones of Phil Lott, all the way in from Los Angeles, California. Thank you very much for having me. Oh, it's a pleasure, mate. <laughs> uh, I was just depressed to learn that Phil's only three in 1970. Is that right?
0: Only three years old. I was. Oh. I, I, think I probably ate some cake for the yeah. Jubilee. Oh,
2: well. So what kind of insight are you going to bring to the
0: <laughs> Well... <laughs> I have some <laughs> retrospective so,
2: yeah. um, and uh, how was it I was coming up to my 15th birthday so things were sprouting all over the place
3: <laughs> in an unpleasant
2: fashion um, ok I'm going to read from the script now UK cinema admissions were the same as the previous year at 103 million but the overall trend is towards that all time low in 1984 of 54 million 54 million
0: Not a lot, is it? It's not good, is it? it's not
2: a lot. So on the bright side, in 1977, we still had twice as many people going to the cinema (laughs) as in the the mid-80s. Eee! This will actually be the first year when the whole show comes from the films that played in Uckfield. I haven't actually got to get... No, I haven't got to go back and pick up you know like the good the old for, you, ones that came you, well no the ones you know like the godfather which never played in Upfield.
0: oh yeah I okay, the ones that went to he's born yeah, or wherever the, they just didn't uh, play,
2: didn't play in Upfield, that were classic films that we really should mention if we're trawling through the 70s i should say that that's what we're doing trawling through the 1970s uh, uh, through the lens of my childhood and growing up in a sort of provincial cinema for yes <laughs> That wasn't very good, was it? Okay, so uh, what were the upfield admission numbers? I don't know what they were for that year, actually. And I also gave you a bum steer last week, because we have two full years to go before the building works take place. So what was playing then? Well, some classic films, it has to be said. The year started off with a long-forgotten British musical film, The Slipper and the Rose. Have you ever seen it? classic. Have you seen it? No. It's terrible. Not even a bit. It's really hideous. Uh, It's a version of Cinderella musical version of cinderella i
0: want to say i've heard of it
2: though yeah it had a big budget and a big cast included richard chamberlain and fresh-faced Gemma craven and despite the songs by the great sherman brothers it was pretty ropey yeah sherman brothers who wrote jungle book and Ch- Ch- oh yeah bang, bang. yeah oh yeah those they, i've yeah. seen documentaries on those yeah chaps, they were so brilliant brilliant um but we started the year with the third in the clint eastwood dirty harry series the enforcer Pretty standard stuff really. Harry Callahan is the bluff, straight talking and straight shooting San Francisco cop whose natural misogyny <laughs> The seventies. Right? Yeah, it's the seventies. It so. It's got kind of squinty. I've been reading this book about where eagles dare. Oh yeah. It's hilarious. It's called Broadsword Calling Danny Boy. And it has uh, it just describes basically Eastwood's acting style as squinting.
0: Which you'd have to say was
2: true, (laughs) if you think about it. that's all he does is squint. And he does squint. I watched about ten minutes of Dirty Harry, uh, this enforcer, the other, and that's all he does, is he? So you can tell when he's cross because he squints. Yeah. You can tell when he's happy because he squints. (laughs) (laughs) It's kind of weird. Anyway, um, I did have a whole bunch of stuff about it, but what we'll do is we'll play the uh, music. It was by Jerry Fielding. Do you know much about Jerry Fielding? Mm -mm. I don't know anything about him at all.
0: No, I did look him up Right.
2: Because the... I think the first two were done by... Lalo, Lalo Schifrin. Schifrin. Is it Lalo or Lalo? I always have this... Lalo? Is it Lalo?
0: Just I just didn't mumble it whenever I meet him.
2: Hello, Mr Schifrin. <laughs> you spit all over him. Anyway, this is called Prologue and uh, main title. Mm. So that's from the Enforcer, the third in the Dirty Harry series. Did I give you the numbers on that one? Not sure I did. Oh, here we go. Played uh, on January the 23rd for seven days and a not very exciting 574 admissions. All these kind of uh, tough films are really better left for the Sunday one or two day bookings as they would do those kind of numbers for however long they played. So if it just played on the Sunday or the Monday, it would have not been dissimilar number of admissions. Um, The Enforcer would actually play three or four more times in just that way, you know, just for Sunday Ones and Twos and here and that sort of thing, and double features actually as well. The legendary Sam Peckinpah was now nearing the end of his long and largely controversial career, but still had a couple of hits left in him. His films had always been difficult to make, principally because Peckinpah was a larger-than-life character and was given to drinking heavily on set. He would argue with pretty much everyone, it seems, from the studio to the crew, but his films were unarguably of importance and always entertaining in some way. Cross of Iron was one of his final films and his only war film. It was an Anglo-German film, so no nasty studio entanglements, but it was a much lower budget than Peckinpah was used to. Tells the story of a German infantry unit on the Eastern Front during World War Two, and the conflict between pompous Prussian officer Maximilian Schell and battle-hardened NCO James Coburn. As a 15-year-old, the one thing that stuck in my mind actually is. Um, the guy getting his uh, willie bitten off. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember? That's about, the only, remember that that's about what I remember from it.
0: But <laughs> I would have been older when I saw it. So yeah, yeah,
2: yeah, no, why? Well, because they go and see those um, ladies and they, they, they yeah, bites his, <laughs> bites his German arrangement off. Uh, and... <laughs> <laughs> However... Um, he was cross. He was very cross. He was Who O'Brien. wrote the score? Ernest Gold. Oh, yeah. Ernest Gold wrote the score. This is called Steiner's Theme.
4: make the evening a regular ball get the refreshment that's got it all cool man like
5: ice cream
3: get yours now kevin markwick 105
5: Uckfield fm were slender, the beauties were brief Shall I mourn your decline with some Thunderbird wine and a black handkerchief I miss your sad Virginia whisper I miss the voice that calls
2: Vincent from nineteen seventy seven New Boots and Panties Did you have that album? You ever had that album? No. Never had it. no have you ever had new boots and panties? (laughs) 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 That wasn't a question you were expecting, was it? Not at all. Uh I, I loved that album so much. I it was in the it was in the age when you carried albums around with you, like an idiot. And New Boots and Panties was an album I used to carry around. I mean, why would you do that? just pride. Oh, it's just ridiculous. But it was great. And my copy was so early, it didn't have um, Sex and Drugs and Rock and Roll on it. There you go. How very interesting is that, Kev? So we're going to talk about Taxi Driver. Mm. When did you last see Taxi Driver?
0: I saw it probably within the last year. Within the last year. Yeah. It's a film you've got to return to.
2: Well, what's interesting, because I sat and watched it... um, the other night about two nights ago and uh, you're absolutely right and but what's interesting in the context of Uckfield is nobody came to see it (laughs) i mean how many people nobody came to see it uh it was hang on uh taxi driver 200 and no it wasn't it was less than that uh 137 people in a week in the context
0: of all the films you've been talking about from the english Yes. The English ones. They probably got confused. So they're on the buses.
2: <laughs> it's now, it's now taxis. What next? Well, the thing is, what's interesting, I mean, is that these films are seminal films from the 70s, yeah? Seminal. Seminal films. So you've yeah. got Taxi Driver, Network. All the President's Men. All, all, all this things, stuff. Yeah. And nobody in Uckfield came to see them. Now, does that mean... What I don't know is whether it was translated across... You know the rest of the country i can't you know because again culturally taxi driver but what i do remember is that i was a complete arse about it because i couldn't understand why everybody at the cinema didn't think it was the greatest film they'd ever seen and i was a really arrogant idiot hole <laughs> were you <laughs> questioning them on the way out no 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 i don't sorry the staff oh right i couldn't understand why why didn't you love this movie this is like the great. you know oh really this is like the greatest film I've ever seen, right? And I was—I'm still embarrassed at how I berated them for not. <laughs> are, are you still embarrassed about what you think about Sideways? In the same. Whoa! Well, let's in not bring same- Sideways into this. In the this. same thing. Oh. So hang on. What have I written down about it? Yeah, landmark film in the 70s. Um, but did the people of Upfield go for it? No, they didn't. It was released in August 1976, according to the IMDb, and played in Upfield on February the sixth. In 1977, so I have a question
0: about that. Yeah, I've been curious about that. I've been listening yeah. to this series yeah, yeah. in my house in Los Angeles, and yeah. I've been listening to you, and I'm wondering what, how did they, how do people possibly connect the dots from the film that came out a year ago, which must have been the newspapers, and they must have been impressed about it,
2: oh, and then it comes question.
0: out a year later. How do fooled. they know to go? <laughs>
1: <laughs> I mean, this... Well, they
2: didn't clearly <laughs> most of the time, but. Um, I don't know. I suppose that it was it was generally slower, wasn't it? It wasn't. This was actually did people feel the need at that time to rush out and see the film the opening weekend? Because actually the upcoming film, Jaws, which we covered last, last week, week and the yeah. upcoming Star Wars, which we won't cover this year because there are all sorts of reasons. Yeah. Um, it, it didn't. Um, you know, there wasn't this rush to see a film. I mean, they were the films that kind of invented the opening weekend, weren't they?
0: they the big blockbuster. The big blockbuster, Got to see yeah.
2: it. Da da da. Whereas at that, you know, I think at that time it didn't seem odd to me that we were playing films that late. I wasn't thinking, as a fourteen-year-old, why aren't we showing that? Why aren't we showing that? It just arrived when it arrived. Now, Taxi Driver however is a very specific kind of a film isn't it it's actually an art house film isn't it
0: uh, i could only imagine there were v- reviews flying around in sight and sound and
2: yeah, in the I newspapers that were, we were saying thinking.
0: it was worth watching
2: but also it was a seven day booking and if you've been following the show you'll realize that yes. the seven day booking was important it meant that you still had to play it for seven days so clearly he had to play it for seven days and then nobody shows up for it i mean it's like nine people and 12 people in a 310-seater single-screen cinema. I mean, just it was a nightmare.
0: Well, you were right then.
2: Yeah. <laughs> you proved everybody right. You but, were right. I don't know. I mean, it's kind of a conundrum. But I mean, I, I'm just looking at what I wrote here. Was that, um, yeah, not good. <laughs> <laughs> so it played, uh, 100 th- oh, that's right. No, it was 325 emissions, of which 137 were on the Sunday So the weekday business was appalling. And I do remember arguing with the other members of the staff who'd seen it that they they were not at all surprised that it was a flop. I mean, they thought it was one of the worst films they'd ever seen. (laughs) And I was quite clear they were all wrong. No doubt in the most pompous and insufferable way possible. Do do you remember what they said? I'm curious about what they said. It was boring and pointless. Pointless is a word that people often use, don't they, when they're they're describing films they don't like. Because actually, ultimately, does any film have a point? Well... You know, other than... Obviously, right. Not not, not in in and of itself. Game-changing. No, but Taxi Driver, you know, still still exists as a thing, doesn't it? Whereas the film that, I don't know, Amorous Milkman, that came the week after... (laughs) People still say, I don't know, it's kind of strange, really, isn't it? And by the way, I've I've got a quick question.
0: So those... those Prints that were yes. coming to Arkfield a year after it got opened. Yes,
2: had it been like going around the country? Yeah, it must have been. Yeah. So was it knackered? Well, n- uh, I don't recall. Or well, they n- some new of them prints. were. No, 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 no. They never made new prints. So what would happen was um, they would. Yeah. So they probably only made fifty prints of a film in those days. Whereas when you got to the big Harry Potters, they, and we were still on film, there was like two thousand prints or a thousand prints or whatever. Because they went multiple screens in the multiple, Right, straight away. Yeah, in one opening weekend. But no, there were 50 prints, and they would make their way around the country. So this would answer the question in some way, in that you had the West End would play exclusively for several weeks. Right. Then there would be a North London release. Right. Can you imagine? And a South London release. I can see where this is going. Yeah. And then there'd be a Birmingham release. You know, for
1: the oh, Midlands, it's gradually making... and it
2: would just make its way gradually around the country. So what I'm imagining is that it didn't make its way to the southern, as it would have been then, I suppose, TV area, until all those months later. Wow. But would I mean, obviously, nobody came to see it. That, but that, I mean, that was a, that was you know, but that was the general malaise. It was on the curve was horribly downward. But we'll come up to films where suddenly we have 2,000 admissions in a week. Yeah. And they were they were sort of, they weren't brand spanking new, so you know, did people get in the car and go to Brighton? I don't know. Right. We, unless we got a Ouija board or something, we're never <laughs> going to find out the answer to these questions, are we? But the score we need to play because we're going to run right out of time. But we yeah. need to play some of the music from Taxi Driver, which is Bernard Herman, who had been one of the greatest. I mean, he was big Hollywood royalty, wasn't he?
0: What movie was he done?
2: Uh, Yes, Psycho. Psycho. Yes, Psycho. Uh, Vertigo. Because he, he had all, all the that ghosts. big stuff with all the. <laughs> he had the big thing with uh, Hitchcock going, didn't he? Yeah. Um, although my daughter saw it and called it "what well, per Vertigo" more, like, <laughs> so that was kind of funny. Um, and so he was big Hollywood royalty, proper Hollywood royalty. Old studio, old studio, monster, studio monster score. So, and Scorsese being such a film buff, obviously, you know, felt that uh this would be a good thing and they got hold of him to do it and it was the last thing he ever did didn't
0: he famously turn it down initially did he I He apparently know. said something like it i don't do car movies
2: <laughs> <laughs> he <laughs> I think that's did cra- not i think so i think you so. i
0: may i've looked it up i got the exact
2: <laughs> words but i'm pretty sure uh-huh. i remember that story that's funny of
0: why you should always have a go and try people because then he read the script and he said oh, oh, you i'll you do that do then. yeah
2: yeah because the script was quite something schrader that's the thing it was one of those films wasn't it where everybody was firing if you'll forgive the analogy firing on all cylinders
0: Ah.
2: Oh, yeah thank see you, you did I see what i did so you got scorsese you've got paul schrader's script de niro's performance and bernard herman's music and i don't know who shot it i should know
0: uh yeah yeah Hang on. <laughs>
2: It was somebody famous, yeah, probably. very famous. But, you know, I, watching it the other night and watching the, you know, like the taxi coming out of the steaming, um, you know, the steam rising out of the pavement. Brilliant, and, absolutely uh, brilliant. I mean, it really is. But that shot really high contrast, differently than the rest of the film. It's quite interesting. I don't know what they did there. We could get quite geeky about that. I could, I could get <laughs> geeky. That. It was Michael Chapman. Michael Chapman, right. It. And that's really high contrast really strange looking shots that that the opening shots i'm not quite sure what they did there
0: i might get a
2: little bit nerdy and say it was high speed film stolen shot on the streets of new york there you go see this is why we have phil here (laughs) Nerds. (laughs) and we're already running so horribly up but we're going to run some of taxi driver here we go Bernard Herman's amazing score for um, Taxi Driver in 19 well it's 1976, finally arriving in Upfield in 1977 to total indifference. (laughs) All right, we'll have a break now, uh, and when we come back, you're nicked.
3: Something special, really different. Tastes. Great. Frankie's Spicy Pork and Beef Sausage in a Sesame Seed Roll. Topped with mustard, tomato, or fruity sauce. Frankie's The Super Hot Dog. On sale at the kiosk now. Frankie's from land.
2: I've cheated there. That's actually from the TV show The Sweeney. So, after one massive seminal flop, that's not a very nice sentence, is it? <laughs> Uh, we're back in Blighty, and more specifically, the Metropolitan Police Force in London. The Sweeney was a massively popular TV series, and inevitably there was a movie version. Although I noticed the main tide of TV spin offs seems to have subsided by now, in fact, this doesn't feel to be in the same camp as the more cheap and cheerful opportunist sitcom spin offs. Putting the Sweeney on the big screen was a chance to be a bit tougher than was possible on TV, which seems a fair rationale. The violence and nudity actually earned it an X certificate, which is presumably what the producers were after. Everyone was present and correct. John Thor as old grumpy guts Inspector Reagan and Dennis Waterman as his psychic DS Carter. This time they were investigating a murder that implicates important government ministers and the big wigs of the Met itself. I remember enjoying it. Uh, We were big fans of the TV show in our house. Was it completely preposterous? Yeah, of course it was. But it had (laughs) lots of, you're nicked. (laughs) (laughs) I said Apple White. This is Parisian Moonlight White. And all that stuff. um, But, you know, going back, so we've had Taxi Driver, yeah, with like two men and a dog. Yeah. And uh, then the following, so January the 20th, um, and we played it on February the 13th. So, yeah, it was... uh, uh, yeah, it was the week after Taxi Driver, and we had 1,046 admissions for Sweeney! Exclamation so, up. what does that tell us? It tells us, actually, without being too snooty about yep. it, that people like to see films set in their own culture, doesn't it? Partly. Right. And, yeah. you know, there was less of that then, unless it was, as I keep banging on about in this show, Cheeky Chappy running down the street with no trousers on because he's just been caught... <laughs> in flagrante with the accountant's wife you know we didn't really see british culture you know because tv was doing it wasn't it i mean this has always been the problem for british film right. is that tv is very good right and reflects the drama, tv drama reflects british culture better than cinema generally has that's a bit of a sweeping statement isn't
0: it yeah, yeah. No, no i think broadly i think yeah. broadly that statement
2: stands yeah i would i would say i mean you had those sort of flowering in the 60s of the sort of certain whitewash mm-hmm. you know l-shaped room and uh, oh, all brilliant. that kind of stuff yeah which wasn't you know hilarious fun but Sween- <laughs> sweeney was fun actually the second one it was better that was a better film
0: sweeney 2
2: no it was yes <laughs> it was. Sweeney I two. Sweeney two. <laughs> but i don't understand why they called it sweeney exclamation <laughs> <laughs> mark <laughs> 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 it was like a music yeah well, it must have been <laughs> that would have been great but i remember enjoying it but i'm still trying to work out how i because i was only i wasn't 15 until the october
0: you must have known someone who owned a cinema i
2: must have done that must have been what it was so uh yeah 1046 admissions which is a big difference from taxi driver but you know we're in the entertainment business um the release date though was january the 20th you see so it was only three weeks old
0: Oh, right, yeah.
2: And this is, doesn't answer our question, though, does no. it? So does that mean that Taxi Driver would have been better if it had been only three weeks old? Or instead of ten months old. If it had
0: been set in Uckfield.
2: Yeah, probably. We well, you wouldn't get a taxi if it was set in Uckfield. <laughs> <laughs> They're rarer than hen's teeth. <laughs> uh, so, back to another acknowledged 70s classic that failed to generate an audience in rural Sussex... This is a real high-end happy show this week, isn't it? Uh, Gould knows why. Brian De Palma's *Carrie*. Now, that's scary film. Scary film. You don't like scary films. I don't film. do the scary don't films. Don't do scary films. I do
0: remember watching this one between it, my. Oh, you, you know, did. Fingers. Oh,
2: you saw it. Excellent. Uh, London release in January '77. Playing Upfield on March the sixth. It can only scare up. Yeah? See what I did there. <laughs> you did good. 474 admissions. Mm. Have you noticed that seems to be about the level four to five hundred missions, unless it's a Disney half term or a, you know, it seems to be the level.
0: Tough Seven 77 was
2: tough, it was tough because actually tough, the yeah. show has been quite tough. I'm glad you're here, really, because yes. it was the most boring year. <laughs> we we're probably all out happy to help, yeah. <laughs> no, no, what I mean is we were all out dressing up as I don't know, page boys to win fancy dress. Nine Silver Jubilee competition. Oh right, yes, it was. <laughs> no, where are you <didn't. laughs> sure you're going with that? <laughs> uh, actually, Carrie was a big hit in the US and still considered one of the best adaptations of Stephen King's work. It was actually his first book to be published. I didn't know that. Did you know that? I didn't know that. And his first to be adapted. So they probably should have stopped there then. <laughs> uh, we, of course, thought it was terrifying. I was absolutely petrified by it, and. Um, I'm not sure, to be honest, at the time we understood all the subtext about angst. I'm sure you didn't. Teen bullying and no. barely disguised menstrual blood metaphors <laughs> that were going on all over the place. Um, that's Brian De Palma, Done his best. He's yeah, doing great work, just at, making it deep. And makes you jump like Billio at the end. You know, with the hand coming <sighs> from, uh, yeah. out Dude, of the gravestone. <laughs> <laughs> that's scary, yeah, That's scary. <laughs> like I said, I remember my fingers... But the score by Pino Danaggio, very specific. I mean, it's almost like, like Brian De Palma-esque score, isn't it? it, it I've not. I mean, he's done other. He must have done
0: other scores. I don't know very much about him, but I do remember the score sounding very much like. It's a, a bri- lot of Brian, Brian De Palma. Har- it, it's Palmer a Brian De Palma scores, score because yeah.
2: it's the same in, um, you know, with the, thing bouncing down the. Is st- that called <laughs> Untouchables? Did he do Untouchables? Yeah, yeah. I thought you were t- not. Yes. Yes. <laughs> he did do the Untouchables. <laughs> But it has the, it's Alan the Dress to Kill, the same thing. Right. That kind of elongated, stretched out time to that particular style of.
0: So, you um, wonder if he was asking for that type of stuff? Or he's referencing yeah, maybe, he was using, maybe he was using like, temp music that sounded. Um,
2: DiNaggio, give me, give me a score that would be <laughs> ideal for my kind of right. time stretching weirdness.
0: Gary violin
2: stretching. Yeah, because it's. Well, let's have a listen. Anyway, yeah. this is the theme from Carrie. So that's um, Pino Donaggio's score from Carrie, because uh, he did Don't Look Now. That is very reminiscent of the very famous sexy scene <laughs> from <laughs> Don't Look Now. And he did uh, the one I just said. He didn't do Dress to Kill then? Uh, uh-huh. I think he did. Did he not? I don't know, but what we were wrong about Untouchables, that was Ennio Morricone but that's kind of, it's quite Morricone. Very similar, isn't it? Lots yeah, of similar similar yeah. the
0: flute and the
2: and all that stuff so, uh, did, we, did, did we say how many came to see it? Uh, yeah, it was in the four 500 mark, wasn't it? Not many <laughs> uh, back on safer ground though, now, last year the return of the Pink Panther had been a big hit worldwide and had done pretty well in upfield and the rest of the world so they rushed a follow up into production, and on reflection, the film feels that way. But at the time, despite my pretent- pretensions to lofty cinema ideals <laughs> and telling everybody what idiots they were for what not like in Taxi Driver, I was actually a sucker for it. It's quite ridiculous with a daft plot about ex inspector Dreyfus, who has now gone completely insane. With his wink. With his wink. <laughs> Uh, threatening to destroy the world, wasn't he? Did, he he yeah. had some kind of evil plot to kill
0: him because he annoyed everybody. It annoyed him so much.
2: Because uh, nobody, he couldn't kill Clouseau. He sent all those um, uh, assassins out to kill and nobody could kill Clouseau. So... That's right. He,
0: put, he said, I'm going to use my death ray. He didn't say, I'm going to kill Clouseau myself. No. He said, I'm going to yeah. destroy the world unless. Unless
2: you, you kill Clouseau. <laughs> this is ridiculous. I mean, it's now moved so far away from anything that's even vaguely. Sensible, um, but does it matter? I don't know. It was brilliant. There were some funny set pieces, including Cluzo's repeated attempts to gain access to Dreyfus's lair. I was going to play that music, but we don't have the time now. And actually, Sellers wasn't happy with the finished film, uh, maintaining it wasted his talents. Can you imagine?
0: I think there comes a point if you're doing a third film.
2: <laughs> fourth, wasn't it? fourth, fourth, yeah. It was his fourth film because he did *Pink Panther*, *Shot in the Dark*, *Return of the Pink Panther*, and this one. So this is sure, his again. fourth film as Clouseau. And he ends up doing how many more? He did another two, I think, and then they used outtakes from those to construct the others after he died. It was all in horribly Scrap-ins. bad taste. It really was. Um, and actually, the scene at the end is my favourite, one of my favourites. Do this you one? remember where he comes home? And his bedroom's been turned into some kind of love nest with lights. And do you not remember that? I don't remember. Yeah, and the bed comes down, to, whoa, out of the oh, out it, of the floor. <laughs> and Leslie Ann Down is there in a sort of sexy I fur coat, remember. and then Tom That's Jones
0: serious. music starts playing. This is um, ridiculous. Remember the the open? I think the opening scene, which I think was when he drops the rice out of his bag.
2: Ah, so this, and he does that, that tap is, See, that is genius comedy because it's really subtle, isn't it? He's it's so really... embarrassed, which is ridiculous for clues, I think, <laughs> that he's got this, this stuff this all over this that he trail starts of rice. to do. A certain... so <laughs> like he's... he meant to spill rice <laughs> in order to do an <laughs> impromptu a tap, dance. tap dance. It's kind of ridiculous. Mm. So, uh, oh, how many people did we have in for it? Uh, yeah, we had 1,961 admissions. Oh, that's a lot. Seven days on April the 17th. So that was. Um, Easter holidays. So is that did, full up? Uh, no, nights? well, no. you see, we only ran once nightly, so we were probably running that twice nightly, twice daily. Because right. what we used to do was go. This is, I mean, people would laugh now. Well, not laugh, but be, ooh, oh, hello. Um, I was, work, I would have been working at the time actually. So we would do the two o'clock show, yep. which would finish at about half past four, five o'clock. Then we'd go home for tea. Oh, oh that's true. <laughs> and mum yeah. would make us tea and then we go and open up at seven o'clock for the seven o'clock show well how very civilized i know it's but great. probably not you know not going to generate the most the biggest audience is it
0: and was it a double feature this one
2: uh i don't no, i don't think it was i think it has sh- oh, God, you know I don't, i've got the sorry book, the put you book. on the spot no no the that. book's out there i can look it up so i'm going to play come to me Tom Jones, how are we doing for Tom? Oh, we're all over the show, mate. This is this is is going wildly off track. Here we go.
3: Ours tonight Make me yours Come and hold me tight I must have you Come closer Love me now And I'll give all I've got to give Make it soon so that I can live And love and dream for two I'm here and I'll stay here For at least forevermore Oh darling can't you see I want you loving me I need you, come to me And we'll walk in the sun each day Summer will be a kiss away Just wait And see, oh, what a moment that will be when you come to me.
5: <laughs> come to me and away away beyond tonight. Maka be house come in here tonight, i know
2: Tom Jones, music by Henry Mancini from The Pink Panther Strikes Again. Yes, that's right, isn't it? Yes. Oh, thank God. (laughs) I like this, this Stefan Grappelli sort of bit. So we'll have a break, and then when we come back, a bit of Elvis Costello, uh, a bit of Sinbad, and a bit of Rocky.
4: Something for everyone. Lions made in a cup for everyone. Lions made. On a stick. For everyone. Lions made. Here's chalk ice. For everyone. Lions made. It's ice cream time with lions meet.
5: so funny to be seeing you after so long girl and with the way you look I understand that you were not impressed but I heard you let that little friend of mine take off your party dress I'm not gonna get too sentimental like those other stickers Somebody, I wanna know it isn't mine.
2: 1977, which is the year we are covering. Uh, Alison from the album My Aim is True, Elvis Costello. It's Kevin Markwick here on a Monday night in uh, Uckfield, where life is fast and cheap. However, I do have Phil Lott here with me.
0: Hello, talking.
2: (laughs) One, two, one, two. All the way from Los Angeles, California. You don't sound like you're from Los Angeles, California, do you?
0: No, I was brought up (laughs) down in Hailsham and then moved to Stenning yeah well there so, you go sussex boy
2: yeah and uh, uh, a maker of great television thank you very much a, a renowned television the world <laughs> over and phil films we made films together we've made films together we've yeah. written together oh. Travelled the world together all sorts of things we've done together we couldn't possibly say on the radio um so uh yes yeah, so what we're doing is we're going through 1977 which we decided is not is it it was tough it was a bad it's not all that
0: well was well, aside from the fact that also there were movies being released in America...
2: Yes. But you didn't, which get to didn't see. ...which didn't turn up here until later. Brilliant movies. Yeah. Fantastic movies. Um, and obviously the elephant in the room being mm. Star Wars. Yes. Which didn't come out in the UK until Boxing Day 1977. And then as you heard... Uh, I don't know whether you heard the Jaws story. Yes. Exactly... The same story Go that he wouldn't play it. He would not play it for four weeks. Eighty percent. Was it the terms? It. it was the terms. It was terms and having four weeks to you know you had to play a minimum of four weeks, and he would not tie up
0: because he wanted to have.
2: Well, no, it was a single screen. He, right. he felt. I mean, you can kind of understand why you wouldn't want to tie up your one screen for four weeks with Star Wars. With Star. <laughs> Yes, we're saying that now. We're saying that now. But we did. I mean, to be fair, it had arrived, hadn't it? In, you know. I mean, it was trumpeted yes. massively. And I didn't. I saw it. I, didn't, I don't think I saw it until we played it in the August of 78.
0: You didn't go down to Eastbourne? No, I didn't do that. I must ground. have
2: stopped doing that the Seemed then I must have grown up more and decided that going to see your Nan on the bus <laughs> <laughs> was less cool. I think I'd discovered girls a bit by then as well. And taxi driver. And taxi driver. Girls, taxi driver. <laughs> it's big year. It me. was for me. And um, not that girls had discovered me. It was many years before they, <laughs> they would discover me. But yeah, so 77, yeah. So I was coming up to 15. What year are you in at school when you are 15? Third, I don't know. And
0: are we talking about fourth year? old old money yeah, schools? Yeah, we was, was talking, we talking about fourth now. Year, so
2: I was probably doing my O-levels. I was like, no, not quite. Oh, I don't know beginning yeah so being you know a man of many talents (laughs) of no talents whatsoever um and listeners who have been listening will know my soft spot for harry howells and sinbad films and actually how they always did well sinbad and the eye of the tiger was no exception directed by sam wanamaker no way it was really i want to make i want to make a sinbad film i had to do it sorry everyone uh i didn't know that uh And another thing that hadn't occurred to me before was, and this is really important. Yeah. I'm jabbing my finger. Yes, you are. It was the same year as Star Wars. Now, can you imagine how paltry Sinbad and the Eye of the Tiger look to US audiences wow. against Star Wars? That is worlds colliding, isn't it? It really Two is. Two era of cinema. Absolutely. The new kids on the block. Yeah. I mean, you know, I love Sinbad and the Eye of the Tiger yeah. and it's got a silly plot and it's got sabre-toothed tigers and a giant walrus. <laughs> Not taking anything away from the walrus. No. <laughs> but. but how is it going to compare with Star Wars? I mean, they are light years, literally, sorry oh, to use that analogy, a, but they are light they. years apart, aren't they? Uh,
0: yeah. yeah. Oh, well, on paper, it's all execute. they call it execution-dependent. You imagine Star Wars could have been...
2: It could have been Battle Beyond the Stars. Yeah, and
0: by the way, when you see the scenes that they cut... Yes. Have you ever seen that? On no, TV? I've not, no. The scenes that they cut from Star Wars in the order that they were meant to be in the original script. Right. You see it and you go, hmm! <laughs> I can see why they ended up in the order they were in.
2: Right. Okay. Because
0: it could have been a lot of running around with a you know man dressed as a big bear and a really yeah could have been all that, couldn't it? But
2: it ended up slick. I mean, sure. I mean, I I, I suppose part of the issue here is that we have had our version of Star Wars methodically erased from our minds, haven't we? Gone. Well, because he's tinkered with it so much and added modern special effects so much. That if we saw it as it appeared on screen in seventy seven, would it look so different? Oh, I think
0: I think that's probably the one that you watched on VHS in the eighties over yeah. and over and over again. That's so, probably one that's seared on my brain.
2: At worst it was the travelling mat, wasn't it?
0: Yes. Oh the wiggly. The travelling mat line on, on the, the TIE of... fighters
2: is about as bad as it got, I think.
0: Yes. That's the um yeah. the bit of black there to project yeah.
2: onto the film to yeah. tell it not to mm-hmm. be stars. And that was really so. You compare that to Sinbad and the Isle of Tiger, poor Ray, yeah. And this is why it was the last Sinbad film they ever made, really. I mean, apart from it being ethnically <laughs> <laughs> questionable, wasn't it? Because Patrick Wayne was Sinbad, <laughs> not very Arabic, <laughs> is that the word? <laughs> culturally appropriated culturally appropriate. Sure there we the go. You're looking for. So, uh, Patrick Wayne, um, Tarin Power.
0: Oh, Taryn tar- oh, Power,
2: fine. daughter of Tyrone Power. That must have caused confusion around their house. Oh, I didn't know that. He's
0: used to get his mail.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> James Seymour, Patrick Troughton. Um, oh, yeah, there was a baboon. Because he had turned him into a baboon. Can no, you I had forgotten that. They turned the, right prince- <laughs> <laughs> turn the prince into a baboon. So they had to go and find the magic elixir or something to turn him from a baboon back into... Why
0: life. was that? Is it because he was... Who, who was turned into which the prince? I don't know. Was he cheaper as a b- baboo again for a few weeks? Bear in mind, of I'm filming.
2: fourteen, approaching fifteen. I'm slightly more focused on Towering Power and yes, Jane Seymour. <laughs> Apparently, uh, music by Roy Budd. Oh, hang on, let's do the emissions. One thousand nine hundred twenty-five emissions. See, did okay. Mm. Uh, in seven days on August the twenty-eighth. And the music was by Roy Budd, who had, it was a bit odd because he had, in fact had been a big score by the previous one was scored by Maurice Jarre.
0: Oh yeah, I do. I remember that score.
2: And uh, Roy Budd, did he not do um, you know, get Carter? Ah oh, yes, which is a bit strange. but anyway, let's hear some of the music. This is called Petra from Sinbad and the Eye of the Tiger. Okay, so it's kind of hardcore uh, underscore isn't it that? It's a bit second level. Yeah, from uh, Sinbad and the Eye of the Tiger, which uh, in the UK didn't suffer from comparisons with Star Wars as it must have done in the US. So another 70s landmark now that went down the toilet in Uckfield. That still works doesn't it oh big finish <laughs> <laughs> that's great that's like one of those great uh, you know i was never a massive fan of, of rocky films but that whole sequence the way it builds and builds and builds and builds right to where he's on the top of the it's pittsburgh Is it pittsburgh pittsburgh library yeah. Yeah, yeah just proper job cinema but Nobody came to see it. So that's Bill Conti's (laughs) iconic music from Oscar-winning Rocky, which uh, set Sylvester Stallone off to stardom and spawned an endless number of increasingly rubbish sequels. A paltry 371 emissions. Hmm. Seven days on July the 17th. I wonder if it was hot. (laughs) 76 was the hot. Yeah, so this must have been a relief. This must have been, yeah, Yeah, always blinking chilly. (laughs) Uh, it wasn't old either, actually. It was released in the UK in April 77, so it wasn't, like, super old. And it had been the highest-grossing film of 1976 in the US.
0: That is incredible. Yeah,
2: and won the Oscar for Best Picture at the 1977 Academy Awards, so... What's you know, there to go and see? What? Yeah, what? <laughs> Why would you go and see Didn't help here, though. No, sir. The only Rocky film to take money in upfield was Rocky III, presumably hmm. on the back of the uh, Eye of the Tiger song. So what should we do now? Eagle's landed, or Star is Born.
0: I think Star Is Born.
2: Yeah. Okay. Latest version of Star is Born is doing brisk business in cinemas worldwide. The previous version with Barbara Streisand and Chris Christofferson was also a big hit. Uh we've been playing it for a lot of the summer at the cinema we had in Eastbourne at the time. We had a cinema in Eastbourne. Oh you did? Yeah, Tivoli. Where, where, where it was it? That's uh in Seaside Road. Hmm. Um not too far from well. The What's It Hotel. <laughs> See, yes. this is why I write things down. The, oh, uh, anyway, if you live in Eastbourne, you'll know where I You I'm know,
0: at. yeah, next to the What's uh, It Hotel.
2: The What's It Hotel. Um, and I remember, because I showed it all summer, it was when I learned to show films on old Kaylee 21 projectors. Your
0: changeovers. Changeovers. You can still tell us where the changeovers are. Yeah, changeovers, sure. yeah.
2: And, and Star is Born, probably. <laughs> yeah, same. I could probably say where the changeovers were. Jaws, um, that summer as well, we ran a lot and Star is Born and the double feature Blazing Saddles and Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Bizarre. Little circle, top yeah, right. Well, yeah, little circle, top right, changeover. Um, and because I know it played forever at the ABC round the corner and then we, because we were second run in, in Eastbourne at the time. Well, it was always second run, the Tivoli, and picked it up after the ABC had run it for... Well, when was it released? Uh, March. No. So, oh, and we came to it in Upfield in September. So it was released in March, and then we played it in the summer at our cinema in Eastbourne, and then it finally arrived in Upfield in September. And uh, it was all right. Did, it did good business. 867 emissions. I was going to ask Which is neither here nor there, is it? It's like, it's okay. Well, it's not as low as some of them. No, but not as high as some of the others. No. <laughs> 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 it's only too on balance. But what I'm going to do... Uh, how are we doing? Okay, I'm not going to play... Um, uh, Evergreen, you know. No, Barbra and You're not going to do that. You can do the Janet. No, I'm going to do the Janet Gaynor one. No, 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 no. I'm going to play from that film. <laughs> yeah. But I'm going to play the the opening song because actually, uh, what's his pants? Sexy Pants. Who's done the new one? Can't of his name. Oh yeah. Him. Yeah. Um, maintains that it's not a remake. But when you when you whiz through the old this this version, ah, it's the same really. You so know. it starts off with him at a rock concert, playing music. In exactly the same way in fact they, they, there was somebody did a master what do they call it a, a sort of super on master X, right, yeah. yeah on on youtube and it, all of the shots mm. in the film where they say i just I want to have one look at you
0: i think it was Barbara streisand did it is it, <laughs>
2: it <did itself. laughs> <laughs> prove a point but there's a scene I, I don't know if you've seen the new one but they, they say because i just want one more look at you and that is in every single version of star is born so you know
0: going back to the original 1936
2: 37, 37 janet of frederick march and so, you know, wasn't as original as all that was. It? Anyway, this is Chris Christopherson. Watch closely now.
4: i
6: in Markwick
5: 105 Uckfield FM
2: great stuff that's uh oh that was very dj wasn't it oh that's great stuff not off <laughs> i do try and stop being all dj about it nobody does it better carly simon from the spy who loved me which let's face it's dodge's best isn't it do you think i
0: think it was his best yeah all right
2: because it was uh the one that um i think at the, he found the right balance between smirkiness and seriousness um, and it was also what doing the research about it what's interesting was that it hit the zeitgeist didn't it because you had the bit with the Union Jack
0: the best opening yeah. of a film
2: yeah with the, the, the ski chase and the Union Jack and of course it was Jubilee year um, so you had all of that going on and it just hit the spot uh, rather like, in fact the, the next time Bond would hit the spot obviously it would be skyfall right during the um, Olympics the Olympics
0: with the jumping and then with the and queen all of and all that stuff them. and yeah
2: so occasionally bond does this it just hits the, the the zeitgeist in I mean obviously it was a global hit and a worldwide success but uh, it does do that um he had a zingy screenplay by Christopher Wood, who I think wrote those saucy books, didn't he? Christopher Wood? Oh, yeah. I might be wrong. I don't know. <laughs> Directed well, by... Sounds like he's yeah. <laughs> the
0: correct name for the Santa Cruz. Uh
2: You Only Live Twice veteran Lewis Gilbert, um, who uh, also did Alfie and films like that, didn't he? Uh, Jubilee Year and the opening Ski Chase with the uh, uh, Union Jack Parachute. Um, no John Barry this time though. Uh, apparently he was unable to work in the UK for tax reasons. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's one of those seventies yeah, 70s years. Seventies, 70s, my heart bleeds. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, really. So they drafted Marvin Hamlish in, and actually, he did a really fine job. The title song he wrote with his partner Carol Bear Sager, uh, nobody does it better, is one of the most successful Bond songs of them all, as sung by Carly Simon. It's not the most Bondy-sounding Bond, though, is it? But somehow it just it works. It was perfect, absolutely perfect. Um, and of course, every single one of the um, composers who gets to have a go at Bond also gets to go at the Bond theme and do their own kind of yeah, various sort of versions of it. And he really discoed it up. <laughs> Is that Handish. not played? Bond '77, it's called. So I'm going to play that now, and that's the one. That's actually the opening sequence with the ski chase that ends with the bomb, 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 bomb. Well, you'll see. Here we go. <laughs> stopped well that's was... ah oh, it's a good job i'm on the ball oh <laughs> that's a shame because i was home for the bit you know with the because that stunt was extraordinary wasn't it it was absolutely breathtaking yeah still is yeah directed by um it was actually john glenn the second unit director not who... the spaceman no <laughs> <laughs> sorry just, 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 just worth... to be just to be clear um because <laughs> he went on and directed other james bond films Ah. Is he not is he not he's not the one married to Mrs. Is he? No is it Mrs. Claire. Mrs. Broccoli. No, I don't think uh mm. No, I might be getting more we'll, from yeah, we'll Let's move on, on. Um so uh yeah, I mean it was kinda of, it was occasionally Bond does this. Everything comes together. It's absolutely perfect. Um the story clicks along, some great set pieces, the pyramids. Pyramids. Jaw that was apparently lit. That I don't know if you read the story about that we're going to get geeky a bit now. How Giroud. much light he didn't use to light that sequence. The uh, Renoir who shot it, yeah, um, hardly anything. And he lit it all himself. Those you know, the, the you can see all the lights up on the pyramids. Yeah. He, he lit all of that. That was all the for news. Spy Who Loved Me, yeah. And it was apparently quite a master class. In but you were looking at a story actually that I discovered as well that his eyesight was failing a bit going during that whole film yeah and actually because one of the things they did was build the um Ken Adams set which is one of the most extraordinary things in it for the with the three nuclear subs yeah this massive set and he was he was not entirely clear how to light it and the story goes that he called up his mate Stanley Kubrick really <laughs> to come in and and uh give him and so Kubrick was didn't want to you know Step on anyone's toes, so they. I sneaked in on a Sunday morning, brilliant, to show you know. In Kubrick, came up with some ideas how to light it because you know how do you photograph a set like that actually? Because it's so big. I have been inside that. I went inside that Double O Seven stage because I think it's burnt down, fallen over, and sunk into the swamp several <laughs> times, hasn't it? Since because <laughs> I don't think that the one that's there at Pinewood now is as big as the the first one they built. I Pretty, want to I comment? I don't think it is. I don't think it is. Because I went in there. They had a Pinewood Open Day. Yeah. Uh, in 78. Yes. 77, 78. I Famously. Thinking, once. Yes. And I asked the guy from Pinewood about this re- relatively recently. Why did they never do it again? And he said because it caused absolute mayhem the police and the authorities would not let them do it again because they you know to get to pinewood is not the easiest thing in the Easy, world
0: old wiggly, country wiggly roads, old country right roads right and in. it
2: just completely gridlocked everything but i did see the lotus from oh, spoiler by the way that was like yeah that was my my bond car was it the oh, lotus brilliant.
0: Yeah. with the wheels of yeah wheels
2: in. that turn in and turns into a submarine and um
0: and he drives up on the beach, and the, yeah, the, guy, does the, the,
2: yeah. the guy does the, the devil take, the the, take with the, a, bottle yeah, of the bottle of wine. The bottle of wine, all of that is. stuff is in there. And uh, I was—I remember as a kid being slightly disappointed they killed um, uh, the lady in the helicopter off so quickly. Oh, yes. <laughs> they had the, oh, That was a black helicopter as well, isn't yeah. it? Was they, killed, it they killed her. In the, I mean, she'd only been in it for two or three minutes. She's made an impression. Janet, Janet Monroe, is it? No, not Janet Monroe. Caroline Monroe, who'd been in Golden Voyager Sinbad and the advert for Fags. Oh. <laughs> or something i don't know she was in an advert for something i can't remember what it was um but yeah just absolutely brilliant and so they were actually building the superman set when i went into the 007 stage really you know for the um the north pole bit. yeah oh the uh the oh the yeah the, the, thing the ice trim. palace yes thing. and but they had loads of bond stuff there and they still had the submarine they had the um pinewood tank with yep. the boats on it still the big tanker oh, on there and you could because if you if you if you sort of crouch down to because it's quite a high brick wall isn't it yeah and it has the infinity if, yeah and if you if you you could they they've they had steps on it so you could put your eye and see along the horizon the horizon with the ship it was brilliant oh, absolutely brilliant. brilliant i wish they'd do it again um so we haven't got time to play ride to atlantis oh. unfortunately because i'm already way over date so i've got to do a break and when we come back what are we going to do uh oh who knows
3: Kevin Markwick. A better variety of music.
2: Parkfield FM. Yes, it is, Kevin Markwick. Um, what I'm talking about, we got what about 20 minutes to go of 1977, which frankly is a bit of a relief, because apart from James Bond, which was uh, a high point for me, and actually, I did. This is going to sound really silly and pretentious, but I wrote what? about it on one blog. Oh, you did? Yeah, so you can go to kevinmarkwick.co.uk, and um, I don't blog very often but I did write about The Spy Who Loved Me because it did have, uh, it was it was like my first bond that I was directly involved with, so it had quite a big impact on me. Um, and it did so, because I didn't say yeah, about the business did, did yeah. I? No. Uh, July 1977 it was released. Yeah. Um, and that was the about one of the first ones where they made it exclusive to coastal cinemas only. Bizarre. Oh, because release of summer? strategy. Yeah. So it played at the only Lister Square for four weeks. Yeah. And then it went out coastals only. And I do remember this getting right up my dad's nose because <laughs> you had to be, you know, so because George, who was in charge of United Artists at the time, their release <laughs> strategy he had this theory that you should play Coastal so it played Brighton obviously but uh, Bournemouth and uh, Blackpool and yeah anywhere that had the sea lapping at it this is what my dad used to say it could be the biggest flea pit in the world but if it had the sea lapping at its doorstep it got the blinking bond (laughs) 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 which really upset him and so the date we played it which was uh, September the 18th would have been the third week of London release this is getting quite arcane yeah but it's still quite a was, way off. It's yeah. quite quite late, really, isn't Everyone's it? Everyone's back to work and back Gone to Gone back to work, been on holiday, Cinder Bond. And it played for 14 days, so UA would have still been insistent on two weeks. 1,635 admissions the first week and 1,072 admissions the second week. So it was okay. That's all right. Yeah, but did it you would have Eastbourne? done better if it had played in the summer, wouldn't did it? Did you have Eastbourne at the time? We did. Now, so did I'm you... going to bore the pants off you now. No with a story about that because we wanted to play because we had okay this might get a bit, bit bit hardcore but I'm staying with you yeah the Curzon cinema on Eastbourne was the first run cinema on rank release because there was rank and ABC release at the time I have talked about this in the yes. show before where certain studios went out on the ABC circuit and other studios went out on the rank, rank. circuit Odeon if you like now Curzon was on the rank circuit release it was an independent but yep. it had first run rank films r a and k right Odion i first run Odium release so ua went through what oh, was a rank release so he had the bond and he had a bridge too far okay right but but for some bizarre reason he played them alternately. he had a three screen cinema it was three screen then but he played them alternately so he had a weaker spy love me and a weaker bridge too far weaker spy love me weaker bridge too far we could all through the summer so i remember my dad getting really upset with united artists because he said well can i come in on the, uh, the tivoli on the week that it's not playing so no, when you know the it's, it's still his first run prerogative but when he's not playing spy love me let me play spy love me and when he's not playing bridge too far i'll play bridge too far What and did they say it, it, eric wouldn't like it oh the guy that ran the curzon at the time we would not allow it he just wouldn't let them do it
0: so you had neither
2: so in the middle of the summer in eastbourne which even in 1977 there still was a season to be had it had no representation in eastbourne for a whole seven days when it could have been taking money at our cinema at the civilly bizarre mm-hmm. that was the sort of thing that you know needed to be broken up and really wasn't uh challenged until the the early 80s really, really when those changed, yeah running time you know because now they can only ask for two weeks they couldn't ask for four weeks like they used to and all that kind of thing but you know just real dog in a manger stuff so Bridge Too Far is the other film we're going to cover Dicky Dicky I haven't written anything down about it at oh. all
0: what's your memory of it
2: my memory is that it was very long <laughs> it was <laughs> it's a long bridge I yeah well was it though Richard Dicky of course Dickie. oh played by William Goldman yeah well, who left us this week Gould bless him Gould bless him and look at that cast Dirk Bogard James Kahn Michael Caine Sean Connery Edward Fox Elliot Gould Anthony Hopkins Gene Hackman Hardy Kruger, Laurence Olivier, Ryan O'Neill, Robert Redford, Maximilian Schell and Liv Ullman. It would have been easier to have a list of who wasn't in it. It really would, wouldn't it?
0: Was it good? <laughs> I remember it being great. But yeah, I was but you were young, young and it was guns boys. and running. I remember shooting yeah. from the hip. I remember running across the bridge shooting from the hip. Yeah, because it's about Arnhem, we should say. Well, the... Which, interestingly, yes. talking about British war, f- war films, films, British war films <laughs> was not a huge success, was it? No, well
2: it didn't do Dickie's career too much good, did it? I don't know what he made after that. What did he make?
0: Everything else.
2: Everything else. <laughs> yes. Did he make um, Gandhi after that? No.
0: No, he did too. Did he? I think he might have done. What, Gandhi 2? The <laughs> <laughs> reckoning.
2: Oh, wow. He was in a lot of films, wasn't he? And I don't want the films he was in. I want the films he directed. So he did. Uh, um, Oh, Magic was the next film, which is an oh. even bigger flop. Yes. With Anthony Hopkins. Anthony Hopkins playing yeah. A, uh, magician. Yeah, with the, uh, with the, the dummy. The and yeah. then he made Gandhi, which was like his crowning moment, wasn't it? In 1982.
0: Third time's
2: a... Yeah. Well, I don't know. I loved um, uh, uh, Oh, What a Lovely War. I thought that was yes. brilliant. Yeah. I think that's probably... Uh, for me, uh, that and Gandhi are his best films, I think. Amazing. But, yeah, Bridge Too Far. And uh, Barry Norman famously said it was an hour too long. <laughs> that was his that was his thing but yeah it was kind of an attempt i suppose to do that sort of bit like the longest day and you know but i don't know yeah i've got the blu-ray and i haven't watched it again recently really? i haven't seen no. it in many years no i don't have fond memories of it i don't remember thinking oh this is a great movie but i need to have a look at it again but uh, i think i'd rather watch where eagles dare again that's how my oh yeah <laughs> how am i so the music was by who did it it was um oh it was somebody english local from cobham really i think i was just looking them up oh who was it we should know this i mean it was no, no it was somebody famous john oh Adder- john, addison, john addison yeah which is very kind of from west chobham Bob. was he yeah I didn't know that yeah God, that's amazing I'm going to play a uh, bridge too far oh there's 14 minutes and 41 seconds of this I don't think I'm going to be <laughs> playing for, given that we've only got eight minutes uh, 10 less well whatever it is, 13 minutes <laughs> of the show to this. go I'm going to play a bit of a bridge too far anyway So there we are, Uh, Robert, Robert, John Addison's score (laughs) (laughs) for A Bridge Too Far. It's it's all right, actually. uh, It kind of does what it's supposed to do, doesn't it? Because what we were just talking about while it was playing was, of course, that um, it wasn't a great success. Operation Market Garden, I mean. So it's a British war film about an operation that didn't go very well. Not very well. So do you think that may have had an impact on the box office? I don't know. I'm looking at it here in
0: the book. We're just talking about Dunkirk. Yes. One, which
2: oh, okay. Is, which was a success in its own way, well, but it no, wasn't but I know an we, obvious... Yes, but we've talked about this a lot over the last year or so. Yeah. You know, this idea that... Um, do you play it, it in it's America? Actually, yeah, it's... <laughs> it's a play in reverse. But no, but Dunkirk is very famously... a, or, a or Do you massive. think we've made it a success? I, I think I, it's a very no, British lens
0: through, through which to see it, but I, I mean, because obviously it's, it's the long game. It's the big picture. I think it? so. Whereas Market
2: Garden... Bridge a... Too Far was just a bit of a bit of a bit oh. of a bit of a shit show, <laughs> or something. I don't know. I'm trying to find it here. So Bridge Too Far, here we are October the 30th. It played. So again, it had been running all summer everywhere else. Everywhere else. And we finally picked it up on October the 30th, but it was two weeks, which meant that UA was still insisting on a two-week booking. This is this is what we were up against, obviously. So when he wanted to play it, I remember him saying that about The Godfather was. Oh, uh, when they when I he never played it because it was one of his. You know we've all got dads that say the same thing, haven't we? There's the, there's the things that they say, yes. and one of in my in my family, sadly, it was about film bookings. But <laughs> 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 Wasn't I? Like, oh yeah, I always eat cheese on a Wednesday. It was, I didn't play The Godfather because when they wanted. When I was, they wanted four weeks for it. And when I was prepared to give them two weeks for it, they wanted three weeks. And when I was prepared to give them a week for it, they wanted two. And so we never played it. (laughs) (laughs) Didn't that the the operation (laughs) spite your face? Yeah. Well, no, I don't know. Godfather. Uh, Difficult to say. So anyway, we had 816 admissions week one. Yep. And 744 admissions week two. So not a total disaster, but not great. In October. In October. How many months (laughs) after the release? Right cold
0: nights joining in
5: yeah
2: 1160 pounds and 18 pence it took over the two weeks if i was any kind of mathematician i would be able to work out (laughs) what that is uh so i've got to do a break otherwise i'll be in big trub and i haven't actually loaded it so i should probably do that shouldn't i there you go i'll put it in that one and we'll play that and then we'll sort of have a talk around the the sort of because, you know, we need to draw a veil over 77, I think. It's time to move on. Time it? to move <laughs> it? on. It Here is. we go. Time to move on, mate. Here's a break. Kevin Markwick,
5: 105, Uckfield FM.
2: So we've kind of put 1977 to bed a bit in our own slightly rubbish styly. <laughs> Thanks, Phil, for coming in. That was <laughs> fantastic. Thank you very much no, for no. having me. I really um, appreciate it. No, no, it's really good to see you. And uh, I wish we could do more. Maybe we should do live hookups from <laughs> LA. That would be the best thing. We so, have a we're just trying to, how long have I got? Uh, three, two minutes, 36 minutes. No, we're all right. I was just thinking, see, look, Confessions from a Holiday Camp. We were still running this stuff in 77. And if you do a sort of Wikipedia or a search of 77, it's not. So 1978, not which actually I meant to tell you was the last whole year, 1978, of the single, single screen cinema. It was a bit of a bum steer I gave you. So moves were already afoot to make things better. And it really did make things better. I can tell you all about that in the upcoming show, what we're gonna do is we're gonna play this. <laughs> Can you hear that? Scary film, it's the omen. Oh, I don't know what like, it's scarce. Phil <laughs> doesn't like scary films. Scary film. <laughs> this absolutely terrified me when I saw it the first time. Why In I- 1977 and um okay so I'm going to play you out with uh, Jerry Goldsmith's score that's right from the Omen which I think is pretty much um, one of the great scores really scary scores of all time um and thank you very much uh do let me know what you think of the show at Kevin Markwick on Twitter Kevin Markwick show on Facebook page any way you like just whoo 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 I'll turn my thing around so you can hear it um <laughs> But please do tune in uh, next week. Download the podcast. If you're listening to the podcast, thank you very much. I really do appreciate it. And um, it'll just be me next week. Back to, uh, back to normality. But uh, thanks again. And hopefully you'll, uh, you'll give us a listen this week. I love you. Bye.